Good evening, everyone, and welcome to another episode of If You Smell What the Arch is Cooking. I am your host, Archie Mitchell, and we are back once again. Episode 68, about to be brought to you by yours truly. And I have a small show note to share with you all. After watching NWA Power this week, I have deemed that it is lately unwatchable, ladies and gentlemen. Guys, I I sat through 51 minutes of this show. No match was over two minutes. Matt Cordona is annoying as can be, and I just can't do it anymore, guys. I tried my absolute best. The NWA Power is no longer going to be a part of this show. For right now, I'm going to keep it NXT 2.0 and AEW Dynamite until I find something else better, whether that be Impact Wrestling, MLW, New Japan, Adding Monday Night Raw and SmackDown to the top, you know, the the top show reviews, I have yet to decide. But the highlight reel is back this week as our quick hits, and we've got an ending segment that I think is going to get you guys laughing and talking uh, as much as possible. As always, I want to thank you guys for joining me here on the show, and uh, let's not waste any more time. Let's go ahead and get into some quick hits. And this week, we start off with a pretty big news story. Reports coming out that the Young Bucks sent out feelers to the WWE weeks before the fight with CM Punk after the media scrum. Apparently, the Young Bucks want to know if the WWE has interest in them after their contracts expire with AEW in 2024. Now, We've all seen MJF do this on a weekly basis, and then he left for a little while and he came back talking about how he wants to get into a bidding war with the WWE. Well, apparently so do the Young Bucks now. Uh, he wants They want AEW and the WWE to be trying to outbid each other for their services. Here's my feelings on it, guys. Now, I'm a Young Bucks fan, but the Young Bucks in the WWE, I don't know. I got to be honest with you guys. I just, they, they're not going to tone down their style. It's going to be a bunch of super kicks. We already got guys that do that in the WWE. We've already had the Hardy Boys. We, the Hardy Boys are now in AEW. I think the Young Bucks are best suited to staying in AEW or going back to Japan. I just can't see them in the WWE. And if it's true that they did send out feelers and told Tony Khan possibly knows about this, maybe this is why he didn't intervene when CM Punk and them got into that fist fight. Who knows? Tony might be a little bit pissed that, you know, any of his talent is trying to go ahead and, and approach the WWE about leaving once their contracts expire. But in any indication, the Young Bucks did send out feelers. I don't know what came back yet. Once we get more reported on that, I will be glad to bring it to you guys here on the show. But again, I just don't see the Young Bucks doing anything in the WWE. I mean, what are you going to put them with AJ Styles and then have them turn on AJ Styles like the Good Brothers did and, you know, maybe put Finn Balor with them? Now you got a Bullet Club reunion for a little while. It, it's just, it's it's past. We need to leave it in the past. We need to let the Young Bucks do their thing in AEW and stay away from the WWE, in my opinion. Number two, Tony Khan said in a recent interview, he believes Chris Jericho and John Moxley are the Ric Flair and Sting of AEW. Um, no, hell no, God, no, 
John Moxley is more like a Mick Foley, in my opinion. He bleeds. He does hardcore matches. He flops around. He's a nice attraction. And yes, I'm happy to see that he's had success, just like with Mick Foley. But he is no Ric Flair or Sting. And Chris Jericho is a hype machine for himself outside of the world of professional wrestling. Ric Flair hyped himself up in interviews on television. He didn't do it outside of the world of professional wrestling. Now he does it in his 60s and 70s. And yeah, Jericho is definitely not a sting and that he's not a flagship for any company because Jericho has left so many companies and then gone back to them, talked shit about them, and then gone back to them that, you know, he's basically just, you know, diarrhea of the mouth. Uh, so let's face it, neither one of these guys are a flagship for this company, in my opinion. Tony Khan may think that they are, but no. Sting stayed with WCW till its dying days. Ric Flair may have left WCW in the 90s and went to the WWF, but he didn't shit on WCW while he was outside of it. So, no, they are not the Ric Flair and Sting of AEW. You have a Sting. He's there. Sting is with your company. You want to say a guy like MJF is the Ric Flair of your company? By all means, down the line, he can become one. You want to say Adam Page or a Jungle Boy, uh, even a, a Sammy Guevara, uh, Darby Allen are the potential stings for your company? Yeah, sure. But not Moxley and Jericho. I'm sorry, ladies and gentlemen. That is just utter and total bullshit in my opinion here on the show and number three eric bischoff tears into cm punk during an interview uh he recently spoke about cm punk and what he did at the media scrum and he basically said that cm punk being paid millions of dollars by tony khan who was sitting right next to him during the scrum castrated tony khan he said that that was very uh, inappropriate uh he shit on the entire company which i do believe yes he did and um, that CM Punk should be fired. Now, it's not often that I agree with an Eric Bischoff or a Vince Russo, but in this instance, yes, I do. Why? Well, because he's right. You do not take a paycheck from a wrestling company. You do not become their world heavyweight champion and their spokesperson and then proceed to shit on the entire company during a media scrum. Now... That is Tony Khan's fault 100% for even having that stupid thing. You're not the UFC. You're not combat sports. You're wrestling. There's a difference. Combat sports is the UFC and Bellator, not WWE, AEW. New Japan is more combat sports than AEW is. AEW is lately a fucking circus. So with that being said, Eric Bischoff is 100% right in tearing into CM Punk and saying that you do not castrate the owner of the company. Now, Kevin Nash actually said something as well. Somebody made a joke uh, saying, you know, why did he make such a big deal about uh, Colt Cabana sharing a bank account with his mother? And then Kevin Nash pointed out that he believes that Punk was doing this in an effort to push it into Tony Khan's face that you use your father's money to run this company. I believe that. Because a lot of what he said, the whole working, I'm, I'm beat up, I'm cranky, I'm old, and I work with children, he was pointing at Tony Khan. I also believe that that whole Colt Cabana having the bank account with his mom was a shot at Tony Khan. I believe a lot of what Punk was saying was 
directed at Tony Khan, but he could not name him outright because then he might be in breach of contract and could be fired. So he just threw it all on the EVPs, Young Bucks, Kenny Omega, Hangman Adam Page, Colt Cabana, you name it. I believe that what CM Punk did was wrong. I believe that the microphone should have been ripped from him. It should have been ended right there, and we go on about business and then calm down the situation. It should not have been allowed to become a four-alarm fire. But again, that is just my humble opinion. So with that being said, no time better than the present. Let's go ahead and now shift gears into our highlight reel. And I want to remind you guys to go ahead and check out the uh, Reliving the Extreme podcast with Aaron, Nate, and um, Chad. Don't also forget to check out A Slice of Time, the year that was and March Indie Spotlight, right here on WrestleNet Radio. Moving on to our highlight reel. First with Monday Night Raw, the opening segment with uh, Seth Rollins' interview uh, leading into the Rollins and uh, Riddle brawl. And then going into Balor versus Riddle, which was a fantastic matchup. That entire first 35 minutes of Monday Night Raw was fantastic. And perhaps the best part of the show. Number two, Damage Control, Dakota Kai and Eos Sky winning the women's tag team titles from Raquel and uh, Alaya. I don't believe that they should have won the belts in the first place. I'm happy that Damage Control got the belts because you put together all these makeshift teams and then you put in a bunch of actual legit tag teams. I believe a legit tag team should have won it. So that was pretty damn good as well over there on Raw. And then finally, the Kevin Owens promo against Austin Theory. Um, Is there anybody better than Kevin Owens cutting a promo lately? Is there anyone better who gets in the ring and actually busts his ass every week besides Kevin Owens uh, in the last month? Because that was fantastic. He basically called out every wrestler that has ever been pegged as a favorite or flavor of the month and said that they don't matter because they don't work there anymore and they were you know basically cast it aside when they were a bust but then you look at guys like himself and johnny gargano tommaso champa and a bunch of other guys that came from nxt some that don't even work in the WWE anymore. And they're the heart and soul of wrestling. And it has nothing to do with indie wrestling. It has nothing to do with wrestling in front of 50 people in a gymnasium. It has to do with guys who bust their ass, cut promos, go to promo school when they have to, learn how to actually talk in this business and actually do something for this business that are the heart and soul of any company. So, uh, big ups to Kevin Owens there. And then over on SmackDown, we had Ricochet and Sami Zayn uh, after the uh, Logan Paul segment. I don't even want to get into that mess. But, uh, yeah, their match was fantastic. They went 20 minutes, and it was a a barn burner of a match. Uh, Solo Sukhoi versus Madcap Moss. I can't actually believe I'm saying that putting a Madcap Moss on match on this, but Solo was fantastic, and he led that guy through another hell of a 20-minute match again. And then the main event of Pete Dunne and uh, Ridge Holland taking on the New Day, taking on Hit Row, taking on Imperium in a fatal four-way tag team match for the number one contenders uh, to the tag team titles. Man, that was a mouthful. Uh, seeing Dunne and Holland get the win, fantastic. I mean, the, the New Day deserve new challengers other than 
uh, excuse me, the Usos deserve new challengers other than the New Day or makeshift tag teams. So by all means, this was great. And the match itself was chock full of excitement for 30 minutes straight. Great job by the WWE this week with a lot of the, what was going on. Uh, I will, however, say this. Raw was a little lackluster besides what I just spoke about, as was SmackDown. So if you haven't watched them yet, go right ahead. Fast forward to what I uh, talked about and enjoy yourself because other than that, nothing really great going on on either one of those shows. And now, we go into our first show review, and that is going to be NXT 2.0, ladies and gentlemen. And a little bit of... Uh, News going on as well once we get to the ending of this show. And our first show review show kicks off with Vic Joseph and Wade Barrett welcome, welcoming us to the one-year anniversary of NXT 2.0. And then we go to the ring for the Creed Brothers taking on Pretty Deadly. Great opening match for the NXT tag titles, and it was inside a steel cage. Both teams used the cage to their advantage, and both tried to escape early. Julius was an absolute monster in this match and threw those both those members are pretty deadly all around the ring. Brutus surprised the entire crowd with a splash from the top rope and using a different style than usual. Damon Kemp tried to interfere, but Julius stopped him for the moment but paid for it because Kemp handcuffed Julius to the cage and this allowed Pretty Deadly to hit their finisher on Brutus, your winners, and still the tag team champions. At the 15-minute mark, Pretty Deadly. Great opening match. Mackenzie informed Wesley, Von Wagner, and Joe Gacy that a vote was taken for who would challenge for the NXT North American title tonight, and Wesley won the vote. Wes says tonight he will show Carmelo Hayes what he's all about. A highlight package of the last one year of NXT 2.0 is airing, and I have to say there was a ton of big moments. We all complained when they, things changed to 2.0, but it wasn't all bad, folks. Lash Legend then took on Fallon Henry. Both women are still very green and not very good in the ring. Fallon got the win in two minutes, so at least it was short. Uh, Sangha is backstage with Farza and Leon. Uh, they find out Farza's leg is torn up and she'll be out for the next few months. Robert Stone and Von Wagner interrupt, and Wagner and Sangha almost get into it. Yes, please. Let those two monsters go at it. Briggs and Jensen and Fallon are celebrating backstage. Jensen goes to hit on Mandy Rose and Toxic Attraction but gets shut down. Fallon tried to get at Mandy, but the boys pulled her back. Toxic Attraction and Mandy Rose is ready to celebrate her one year in NXT 2.0. Mandy brags about taking out the two best of NXT UK. JC and Gigi chime in and do some bragging of their own and out, uh, basically call out the entire NXT women's division, including our new tag team champions. And then Alba Fire interrupts and lays claim to being the next challenger for the women's title. She then takes out Toxic Attraction with her bat and leaves Mandy Rose laying. Good segment here. A lot of storytelling going on. Nice little vignette for Cora Jade and her change over the last year. This entire episode is paying homage to what these new superstars have done, and I'm liking it so far. Mackenzie tried to talk to Wendy, but Lash Legend interrupted and uh, is uh, upset about her loss. Wendy stops her from any further bitching and tells her that if she wants a match, she just has to ask for it. We then cut to the arrival of the super diva, Quincy. Quincy Elliott will be taking on Gallagher, and I'm getting a cross between Mabel and Goldust, in my opinion. 
He threw some right hands and then hit a bonsai drop to finish his opponent in 90 seconds. Not great. Not really impressed here. Mackenzie interviews Carmen, uh, Cameron Grimes, and she asks who his partner will be tonight against Tony D and Stax. Cameron says he doesn't need Joe Gacy or Tony D, and tonight his partner is himself. So it's a handicap match, apparently. Backstage, Trick Williams and Carmelo Hayes attack Wesley before his title shot. The locker spot in Wes's head was a nice touch. I, I really did enjoy that. So who's going to challenge for the North American title then? Wow. Leaving us without a match. Uh, Cameron Grimes then took on Tony D and Stax. Grimes took an early advantage on Stax. And uh, he needed it because he's basically a man down. But Tony D got the upper hand when he was tagged in. A beatdown ensued on Cameron, and it looked like he was a, going to be losing another match in NXT. The crowd jumped because Joe Gacy made his way out and got in Grimes' corner. Gacy got tagged in by mistake and took it to Tony and Stax. Grimes confronted Gacy, but Tony D pulled him out. This allowed both Grimes and Gacy to hit their finishers and get the win in seven minutes. I'm actually enjoying it. was a really good match, and I'm, it's great storytelling. I'm enjoying what they're doing with Cameron Grimes here. I don't know where they're going with Joe Gacy, but it's nice to see a breath of fresh air in the things that are going on in NXT 2.0. Post-match, Grimes couldn't believe that Gacy helped him win. Gacy hugged Cameron. He refused to join the schism, and the dyad came in and took Grimes out. J.D. McDowell is getting a shave and talking about what he's capable of in the ring. Talks about his attack on Tyler Bate and says they've crossed, they haven't crossed paths yet, but now in NXT, they will. Vic Joseph then interviews Braun Breaker, and they discuss the year that Braun has had. Talks about the mistakes he made against Ciampa and how he rebounded. We, get, uh, we then get his thoughts on losing to Ziggler at Stand and Deliver, but winning it back uh, on Monday Night Raw and becoming the new NXT champion and getting into his head about everything that's happened. In my opinion, Braun Breaker is a star, a future megastar, if I may. And uh, I like the way that they really worked him over this year with a bunch of different challengers and changing his story as much as they could. McKenzie is now standing by with Tyler Bate, and he tells us that J.D. McDowell is going to have to go through him if he wants a shot at the NXT title. I say let's go. Two of the best of NXT UK, mine as well. Nikita Lyons and uh, Zoe Stark then take on Kiana James and Ariana Grace. Here's the story of four lovely ladies who couldn't wrestle their way out of a wet paper bag, ladies and gentlemen. This was eight minutes that should have been saved for the main event. Neither team looked good and were terrible at delivering believable hits or moves for that matter. Stark and Leon Lyons get the win after Lyons hit her stripper finisher. Isn't NXT level up to show for matches like this? I'm, I'm just asking for a friend here, you know, just saying. Outside, we see Enoch and Malik, and they get attacked by the Dyad. I don't know if I like where this is actually going, but I guess we got to see. Vignette for new superstar Oro Mensa is shown. He's an NXT UK star, so we might be in for a treat. Mackenzie is then interrupted by Grayson Waller, and we get to find out who the top four superstars for NXT's breakout star will be. Waller thinks he's in, but McKenzie lets him know that he didn't make it. He throws a spaz fit and then walks off. Footage of Javari Burnell attacking uh, like a prick the last couple of weeks, leading us into our next match. Uh, Burnell takes on Hank Walker. 
So it's the prick taking on the security guard, ladies and gentlemen. But the crowd likes this Hank guy who apparently doesn't own wrestling gear. Hank hits a fly, flying forearm a la Tito Santana and got the win in two minutes. What the fuck is going on here? Damn. The surfer girl, Solo Roca, debuts next week. And that's good. I was, I was worried she was, wasn't was going to be debuting anytime soon. We get a rundown for next week. And we're getting Bate versus McDow in a number one contenders match. Thank you, NXT 2.0. Vic then tells us that Braun Breaker has won the NXT Breakout Star Award and it's main event time. Hayes and Trick are ready, but they come out and they say that they know Wesley isn't capable of going tonight. Hayes cuts a promo about beating everyone on the roster and there being no one left. But Solo Sequoia makes his way out and we will be getting Carmelo versus Solo for the North American title tonight. This was a great main event, and my only gripe is I wish it had more time. They went back and forth with Solo using his quickness and that devastating super kick. Hayes went to the air and kept his challenger on his toes and even looked to Trick for some help. Sokoa took out Trick, and we were down to champion versus challenger. Solo hit another super kick and went to the top. He delivered his splash and got the win in 10 minutes. Your winner and new NXT North American champion, Solo Sokoa. Very good way to end the show here, but wait, there's more. We get another highlight package of some big moments in NXT 2.0, and HBK Shawn Michaels is voicing it over. At the end, he says it will always be NXT, and the logo changes from the colorful NXT 2.0 to the original black and gold NXT logo. What? What an ending, ladies and gentlemen. So apparently NXT will be returning back to its roots. And the 2.0 thing has been over, said, and done with. If that's the case, thank you, Triple H. Thank you, Shawn Michaels. NXT 2.0 was great, but we all know that NXT is phenomenal. I'm giving NXT a 3.5 out of 5 this week. There were a lot of quick matches and some that didn't even need to be on the show. But the opener... The celebration of the one-year anniversary and the main event were great. And that ending was so good. So, NXT gets its just due. And now it's time for some dynamite. And a reminder to check out the podcast that started all the We Can't Wrestle podcast with Nate Maxson, Aaron Maxson, Mark Brew, and myself, Archie Mitchell, every week right here on the WrestleNet Radio. So, NXT, excuse me, AEW Dynamite, Excalibur welcomes us, and we go right to the ring for our opening match. It's John Moxley taking on Sammy Guevara in this world title tournament. Can't believe I'm going to say this about a Moxley match, but what a great opener. Guevara showed off throughout and hit some innovative offense. He hit a mid-ring Spanish fly, which was unbelievable. Moxley made a comeback and beat the hell out of Sammy, but Tay Conte got involved during a distraction and hit a low blow. Guevara was looking for the GTS, but Mox countered it into the double-arm DDT and got a hard-fought win in 13 minutes. Very good opening match here. MJF makes his way to the ring and cuts his music immediately on the ramp and yells at the fans. He accuses Mox of portraying a character and calls him a joke. He insults the fans and calls Moxley out about passages from his book and makes fun of his sobriety. 
He then welcomes his new stable, The Firm, Stokely Hathaway, The Gun Club, Ethan Page, Lee Moriarty, and W. Morrissey. Stokely explains that what The Firm is and how he brought them together. He runs down what each member wants and what he plans to do for them. Hathaway then says The Firm is around. You have only two options, and that's run with them or run away from them. I like that, and I think that this stable is going to help everyone involved, especially MJF. We get highlights of Jungle Boy and how he got his open challenge tonight. It was answered by Jay Lethal, and I, I learned one thing during this for sure. Sanjay Dutt is annoying as fuck. The guy is all over the place. Jungle Boy took on Jay Lethal next. A very good scientific wrestling match here, and both men had the fans on their feet. Lethal worked over the injured back of Jungle Boy and kept the pressure on the youngster. Jungle Boy finally made somewhat of a comeback, but had to deal with Dutt and some Tom's interference. A nice reversal by Jungle Boy allowed him to lock in the snare trap and get the win in 12 minutes. Good outing for both here, in my opinion, and a great matchup. We get a training montage for Hook and Action Bronson. They send a warning to the JSA for next week at the Archer Ash Stadium for Grand Slam. That should be an interesting tag match. Marvez is now interviewing the pizza-spinning wrestler, but Ethan Page takes him out with a big boot. He said he, he's the only one taking his job seriously, and then that cues Danhausen. A match is made, and all I could think is, thank you, Ethan, for not allowing the pizza guy to cut a promo. Footage of Darby Allen at Nitro Circus. Matt Hardy then interjects and talks about how he feels about Darby Allen and lays out a challenge for Rampage. Matt trying to stay relevant while Jeff is in rehab. Powerhouse Hobbs then takes on Matt DiMartino. This was a 45-second squash match. Yes, I pulled out a stopwatch. Nothing to be said except keep this up if you're going to push Hobbs. If you're actually going to push him, let him destroy everybody in his path. Post-match, he cuts a promo about how easy it was to beat Ricky Starks at All Out. He says he's done with Starks and it's time for a new chapter, but Ricky is shown coming through the crowd. Starks attacks and takes Hobbs out, still wondering why he lost so quick at All Out, but I guess if it's for storyline purposes, so be it. A promo for Pac and the Lucha Brothers is shown, and uh, they are giving warning to the AEW Tag Team Champions for tonight because they do have a shot, and that is our next matchup. The Lucha Bros taking on Swerve in our glory. This was a good match, but way too short. Phoenix took an early advantage and punished Swerve. Penta and Phoenix double-teamed Swerve and kept the ring cut off. Lee got in and cleared house, but the Lucha Bros looked to have momentum. Phoenix made one mistake, and he paid for it. Lee and Swerve hit their finisher and got the win in seven minutes. Phoenix and Penta deserve better than a microwave title shot, though, in my opinion. Post-match, the acclaim cut the celebration and give warning for Grand Slam next week. Caster says they're the uncrowned champions, and next week, they plan on fixing that problem. Marvez then tries to interview the Lucha Bros, but Pac gets upset and runs down their accolades. He then gets prom promptly taken out by uh, Orange Cassidy with a Superman punch, and Orange Cassidy wants his title shot. Tony Storm and Athena talk about Britt Baker and their tag match tonight. Tony makes some jokes, and Athena is laughing a lot. Maybe if these two should worry a little more about not botching, and a little less about their jokes. I'm, I'm just saying again, just just you know, stating the obvious here. Britt Baker and uh, Serena Deeb take on Tony Storm and Athena next. Deem and Storm start us off, and Deeb gets the upper hand and takes it to the new AEW Women's Champion. 
Athena comes in and Baker and Deeb work her over until she makes a hot tag to Storm. Tony makes a comeback, but Deeb blind tagged Britt and Deeb rolled her up to get the well, pin on the women's champion in just seven minutes. Post-match, Athena attacked Deeb and Baker because that's what a face wrestler who has no talent should do. Britt Baker takes her out and is about to use a chair on her, but Jamie Hayter comes running down and grabs the chair. She takes out Storm and then walks off as Baker says she said she was sorry. Man, this is starting to be a bad storyline. We get a rundown for Rampage this Friday night, and it doesn't look like a bad card. We then get a rundown for Grand Slam next week, and honestly, I can't wait. Question, though. Why is there a fatal four-way for the AEW women's title between Tony Storm, Serena Deeb, Britt Baker, and Athena? Didn't Athena lose tonight and at All Out? Uh, shouldn't this be like Storm versus Deeb or Baker versus Storm? I don't. I, I just, this seems convoluted. Just me, though? Okay. Chris Jericho then takes on Brian Danielson in our main event. A great main event here on Dynamite, and both these guys fought with hatred against one another. Jericho tried every dirty play in the book, but Danielson was ready for it and fought back with submissions. Jericho fought out of the cattle mutilation and a crossface, but he couldn't shake Danielson. We finally saw a comeback, and just when it looked like Danielson hadn't won, Jericho locked in the walls of Jericho. Danielson again fought out and reversed Jericho into a bell lock. Chris tried to get out but finally tapped and gave Danielson the win in 20 minutes. And that puts Danielson and Moxley both through to the finals of the world title tournament. What a main event and what a match to set up for next week. Post-match, Moxley comes out and goes face-to-face with his Blackpool Combat Club partner and his opponent for next week. They shake hands, and I have to say, this was the right choice for who should be fighting for the vacant title because both these guys are workhorses. They do deserve a shot at the world title. I hope it's Danielson next week and not Moxley, but that's all I'm going to say. I'm giving AEW 4.5 out of 5. The show was action-packed. A lot of storylines were explained and new ones were created. I cannot wait for Grand Slam next week. So a lot going on, but I have to say AEW was a little bit more so the better show uh, this week than uh, NXT was. So it's now time for a segment that I'm going to add every so often known as the lighter side of wrestling. And what I'm going to be doing in this segment here, ladies and gentlemen, is reading the hilarious Mindy's Bakery reviews that were left after CM Punk's media scrum incident. For those of you that don't know, Punk was eating Mindy's Bakery cake during the entire media scrum. And he even plugged her bakery being in Chicago. And I found it fantastic that he did it. But then it became funnier because people actually went on her bakery website and left her reviews. So uh, with that being said, let's get into these reviews. Uh, Jose Otera says, my favorite cake to eat when telling off the EVPs of my company. Chewy says, I share a joint bank account with my mother, and we spend the majority of our earnings here on muffins and pastries. Gets us through the headache of working with children every day. Pickle Cypher says, look in my eyes. What do you see? Muffins from Mindy's Bakery. I know you're hungry. Hungry for sweets. Pastries so good you want to fight the elite. That was good playing on the whole cult of personality lyrics 
All right, so Miki Ito says, hey, if a grumpy, brittle, and narcissistic old man who have physically assaulted his higher-ups based off rumors he made up in his own head is able to actually like something other than himself, then it must be really good. I give this place a thumbs up. John says, her croissants must be the best I've had this side of the Atlantic. The hot fudge cheesecake was incredible. Dare I say transcendent. The only reason I didn't give it five stars is because the continues to serve CM Punk, who, from what I can gather, has never shared a bank account with his mother. <laughs> Crimson said, I'm hurt, I'm old, I'm tired, and I work with fucking children, but Mindy's Bakeries brightens my day every day. It's so good I threw a chair at one of my coworkers. Try this, you won't be disappointed. And these are the final three, I promise. <laughs> Tim Sung said, would punch a guy for one of their muffins. <laughs> uh, Swant Singh says, the worst MMA fighter of all time recommends this place. And to my delight, it was great. Mindy's Bakery is truly the best in the world. And finally, Jif G Gaming 360 says, great for an old athletic body. So, um, yeah, those are the Mindy's Bakery reviews. Um, I thought they were fantastic. I figured rather than it grinds my gears this week, we'd laugh a little. If you laughed at them, leave me a comment over on the Facebook page. Thank you guys for listening. Uh, another great show here. I want to thank you guys, as always, for the support, the continued growth of the listeners for this show and every show on the WrestleNet Radio uh, podcast family. Uh, I will see you next time. And, um, yeah, if you have anything to recommend for me to put in place at the NWA, please go ahead and do, and I will give it a look. And if it's worthy, then I'll gladly go ahead and add it to the lineup until next time. I will see you on, if you smell, what the arch is. <laughs>